Hey guys, it's me, Tony Moschetti of the podcast Starving Artist Phoenix, which this is. Um, I am coming to you from the rehearsal space for Reasons to Be Pretty uh, from Laughing Big Theater that I'm working on right now. They let me in a little bit early and it was empty and I felt alone and so I wanted to fill that time and space up with my voice. <laughs> so that's why it might sound a little bit echoey right now, but uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about I guess for this week, Christopher Donofsky. Uh, Chris is really notorious already in the in the local art scene, uh, far far more established than I am and ever will be. Uh, but he's just a fascinating guy to talk to. Um, I didn't realize going into this that I had already uh, been exposed to him in the past, but uh, I was actually inspired to talk to him now because of the, the upcoming book he has, uh, Dog's Ear, that comes out next month. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but it was just a fascinating conversation. Uh, the ideas and theories and things that he was talking about, I was just doing my best to keep up. Um, but he was really gracious, generous guest, uh, really pleasant, fun to talk to. And I think that you will enjoy it as much as I did. So let's check it out. Here's my conversation with Christopher Donofsky. <laughs> Welcome to Starving Artist Phoenix. I'm Tony Machetti, and I've got Chris Donovsky with me. How are you doing, sir? I'm really good. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Cool. Thank you for asking. Uh, like we were talking about before we jumped on, I, I, I decided I wanted to speak with you, I guess, when I was talking with Jared Duran, uh, who does the limited edition, uh, limited engagement podcast um, about you publishing your book, your collection yeah. uh, of fiction. And I thought that was super fascinating. I, and I hadn't spoken with anybody who had done, done really that form of writing before. Um, so that was kind of my my uh, inroad, I guess, to, to look, uh, checking me out. And then I realized that you were the, the Howell Theater Project guy, and you were the, the Theater yeah. in My Basement guy, and the stuff that I kind of heard about already, um, and actually seen, which we'll talk about, like the New Phoenicians and all that. Yeah, um, yeah. So it, it's, it's interesting to me that I, I, you know, coming from a theater background that I... Um, ha, like this is that's the opportunity I took to kind of uh, bring you in. I don't know. Uh, so what cool. what came first for you? I guess what what medium came first for like creative expression? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> well, geez. Okay. So okay. Oh, so uh, I would say probably theater. So like in kindergarten, um, there was like the Christmas play or whatever. I forget what yeah. the role I had, <laughs> but, uh, I had like a, a shot for the measles. Um, oh. and like a week later I got the measles. So it worked. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not like anti-vax or anything. I'm, <laughs> I'm on the pro, I'm, I'm pro science. Uh, but, um, so I, I couldn't get to perform and I kind of feel like, um, so after that I really wanted to, and I was really disappointed. Um, and it would have been the first time. So, uh, I kind of feel like that was like the rest of my life has been making up for that. So d just that that initial feeling of disappointment of like, oh, I really wanted to do that was kind of the epiphany of like, well, I want to do that again. Yeah. Yes. And then when I was eight, like there was a group in town called the Mouse House Players. Um, and I just had like, uh, I just had uh, lunch with um, uh, with the daughter of the woman that founded the company. And anyway, oh. like we did like Charlie Brown, like for nursing homes and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Like when I was like eight. Um, 
and then it kind of evolved from there. Uh, and then it went like into high school. Then it got into weird things because I had a guy that introduced me to Ionesco's Rhinoceros. And I realized like that this thing that I loved doing like yeah. from a pretty early age like um, could do a whole lot more, you know. And so, so I got very interested. Did in you it. take to like the more absurdist stuff right away, or was it kind of a transition? When I knew about it, the first yeah. time I read the script, I was like, "Oh my god! I didn't know you could do that." And yeah, I was completely, completely taken by it. So, at what yeah. point did you try to start creating uh, the material yourself? Um, well, I was acting for a few couple years after that. I missed some audition to. Uh, for the um, ASU acting program mm -hmm. so I got into like the general theater program um, and it was taking like Russian instead of acting because I thought I could learn like a Russian accent and that would help me buy a beer or whatever which it did um, and then one night uh, in the dorm in my freshman year this is going to sound okay well I took mushrooms for the first time uh, and um, it was very interesting and then uh, I did it a second time and wrote a play during it and then I woke up, like, the, or not, I woke up, or came to the next day, or a couple days later, and, like, read what I wrote, and I was like, oh, I've kind of been doing this all along anyway, like, writing, like, dialogue in, in margins of things, okay. um, and realized that, like, uh, there were plays in my head that um, uh, I couldn't get out if I was just acting, that I wanted to, to put them out there in the world, so I started to write. So did you uh, did you try to run with that script that you'd uh, created while you were on mushrooms, or did you just use that as like a platform to like start writing stuff so bad? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a terrible script. Oh, yeah, it was say, really, yeah. really bad. Yeah, it was like kind of like a um, mushroomy uh, waiting for Godot or Godot waiting for Godot. Sorry, we're being pretentious. So. Okay, um, <laughs> and. Uh, so I wrote a bunch more, like, um, all of them are kind of fueled by the similar, like, things. Um, eventually, like, by the time I was 21, so, like, for three or four years, I was kind of poking around mm -hmm. in that universe. Um, and then I started having, like, real ideas. And I was working with Jim Leonard at the time. He um, is now in Hollywood. We're, we're still really good friends. I'm really lucky to, to know this guy. He, he's worked for, like, Dexter and things like that. But he's written some very amazing plays, like The Diviners and... Um, they dance real slow in Jackson, but he was my mentor, uh, and he was very like I would say like rigorous, but also like uh, really cool and really fun to hang out with. So he helped push me in like you know in that direction, and so I started to take myself more seriously. Um, yeah. Do you feel like uh, the you were responding to like the the themes and like the absurdism stuff a lot? Like I know you mentioned like rhinoceros and stuff. Is that what you instantly started writing about when you were when you were doing it, or were you? exploring different stuff and which is that structure yeah yeah I would say like a lot of it yeah and a lot of um, and even to like to this day I would say like kind of like the main sometimes the main uh, maybe this isn't necessarily absurdist but more like 60s kind of like a lot of my okay. themes are about consciousness that I write okay. and like to do and I see theater as like a space of consciousness in a place where like um, uh, really more of a surrealist than an absurdist sure. yeah and a lot of Dada too but the more I found out about like the roots of absurdism the more I realize that I'm more like in those roots than like what came after the roots like I'm still kind of like and maybe even somewhat modernist by some whatever measure I don't know <laughs> well that's interesting I mean I 
I'm not very good with uh, like theory, I guess, and, and denoting what where one ends and one begins. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> from what from what I've seen, just from what you've written about theater and about like what you want to perform, like the manifesto and stuff that you have about, about Howell. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It seems like you just uh, you you're kind of preoccupied with like the whole idea of it as like a, a primal uh, force, I guess. The idea of performance is as something um, unfettered by civilization or society. Uh, so, I mean, how, where do you feel like you developed that from? Oh, yeah, okay, so... Is that fair to say? I don't know, make assumptions. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of the the, um, the stuff that I do is like like a lot of living room things is kind of bombard um, people with sort of like um, pop culture and like common like, you know, references like Romeo and Juliet and things like mm-hmm. this. And so I'm like overload with um, like language, uh, characters that um, are multifaceted and like a lot of like media so that there's this sort of like um, but in between that, there's like cracks of like truth that are sort of um, uh, more related to ritual. So you get like a peak of something, and the longer you're immersed in it, the more that peak might start to like peak back at you, <laughs> like that kind of thing. And so a lot of that was like influenced by like um, I was really in- interested in ritual and theater as ritual, like uh, and the idea of it, like in kind of like a hippie, like on. on uh, not hippie, that's a bad, I don't mean like that, but like uninformed, like a naive kind of way about like what theater could do based on like Joseph Chaikin and a lot of things that like Jean-Claude Van Italy and people on like the, the 60s New York scene. Um, then in the 90s, the woman I was married to, Tamara Underreiner, got um, a grant to work on a doctorate in southern Mexico. So we moved there like in 96, like two years after the Zapatista revolution was starting in Chiapas. Um, and there like, it was like heavily like politically charged and also we were working, we were walking, following around with these Mayan actors all over different towns and stuff. Um, it's Nazi Bahom and another group called La Foma, which is like a feminist offshoot of Nazi Bahom. And they were um, uh, politically engaged and the, the plays were absolutely immersed in like um, Mayan like uh, ritual. Um, and seeing ritual in her like, um, the, the context where it like means something to the community and it's not created out of like um, uh, outside of like history the way it kind of happens in urban settings the more on that that's kind of a complicated thing but um, I r- had to change my mind about ritual but also like uh, felt more deeply connected to it so I started to investigate that on its own um, but I think the original idea was that I could use ritual in theater but then I started to like really uh, understand ritual on a more profound level, and so that theater could like refer to it, but you couldn't actually do it. But sometimes in the referent, it, it gives like uh, the audience a glimpse of something that they um, might not normally get. I noticed yeah. that you um, you did your doctorate. At, at, I saw on um, Afro-Cuban specifically rituals um, yeah. compared to method acting. What, how did you yeah. how did you stumble on that? That's an oversimplification, I'm sure. But like, how did you stumble on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, that's a good question. Um, well, it's a, so it's a little complex, but I would say, so I was, when I was acting in high school, um, I was working with, uh, I was hanging out with this guy, Todd Hetherington, who taught me, turned me on to like the Beatles and some um, things like, and other things related to the Beatles. And uh, somewhere along the way, he started teaching me about like meditation and hypnosis and like past life regression kinds of things. Um, so we started doing past life regression on ourselves and on each other and like and on people at parties and stuff. And so, um, and at one point I was doing the crucible, uh, 
that play and like I was like the Judge Danforth Judge Danforth yeah I think Danforth yeah Danforth and I started using this stuff on myself like to get into character mm-hmm. and I started having some very very weird experiences and that gave me a, a kind of a feeling like that I was like channeling something but also kind of conscious of it at the same time so like put a pin in that <laughs> <laughs> and then many years later after like after uh, the uh, Chiapas uh, that year um, yeah. I started working more uh, deeply in like Santeria and uh, Palo Monte Palo Mayombi um, with godparents that, but anyway so that evolved uh, things didn't work out with my first set of godparents but they often don't and I met um, a guy here Robert uh, who became my godfather that would have been like 12 years ago or so um, and so he started teaching me like the other people that had taught me were teaching me about like lots of things you could find in books yeah. and their variations on things and he taught me like how people have been doing it like in a the, um, as an oral tradition yeah. like in an unbroken kind of line like you're talking mouth to mouth and in the moment like while you're so he taught me yeah. and he pulled me into like um, to see what the, the rituals really were uh, how, do, how do I explain okay so I don't want to say too much about it but let's just say that some of the goats are really heavy <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of a big guy, so I got into, like, um, to see things that I didn't normally see, you know, like, right away and kind of like, oh, crap, this is what that is. And as a vegetarian, it's kind of, okay, that's a whole other topic, though. But I was, like, seeing things that I hadn't seen before. And so also I understood on a much more profound level that it was, like, viscerally, like, this is what was happening. And I was being taught by him things that he'd been taught by his godparents and God, and so on and so on. And, like, so I started to understand something more about ritual time, and I got really interested in that. Um, and in a few uh, instances, I started having um, experiences of being like touched, where uh, they call it spirit possession. You know, um, but these were like ancestor kinds of things, and like, and I felt myself sort of like performing it, and it kind of felt like something was coming through, but also there's something very conscious in me that's kind of like doing this sort of thing. Um, so I started asking other people that had had like uh, possession experiences that were would be honest about it because a lot of people claim that they have no memory of it a lot of people claim that they do and that it's very much very similar to acting Um, so the experience that I had in the crucible was very similar to this so I started thinking about applying those two kinds of ontologies and see what what might develop Um, and not like bringing like actors into uninitiated like uninitiated actors into mysteries but like some elements of this other ontology that they may not have any familiarity with um, to kind of see if there might be tools there that we could like that those universes could somehow speak to each other through. Now yeah. this, so, yeah. no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut <laughs> so you off. No, yeah. no, no, not at all. Uh, but you, you bring up something, uh, kind of a theme that that comes up a lot, um, in the show specifically with um, performance artists, is yeah. uh, that just the guess the value of academia. Um, in, in like your career, whatever that might be. Um, and so you, I think it was interesting, the parallel you made of, you know, on one hand, you were getting a lot of analysis of, of text and, and things like that, kind of that second hand, whereas you were getting a lot more direct form from the other. And I was just wondering if you could speak to just based on your experience, like um, when academia has been valuable and, and when it's maybe been overblown. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah. no, that's really... Um, so... Let me see. To be diplomatic, like, so when I first, I did, so I finished a doctorate and there were kind of two versions of it. So there was one that was for an institute based in Berlin and now they're L.A., New York and Mexico City based called Transart Institute. 
Um, and uh, I kind of went under like their rubrics the first time through, um, okay. and it was a very uh, free-spirited, free-thinking kind of like open parameter uh, way of, uh, um, of conceptualizing what a PhD could be. And that was really valuable because I could go through uh, and think of creative ways to, to present these, you know, things and like uh, things that are outside of discursive language um, and outside of academic language to communicate the experience of two ontologies, multiple ontologies. Like, so what I got to do, the, um, the, uh, the VIVA, they call it, it's like an oral exam. Um, uh, I did not pass with flying colors. I had to take a year to redo it because this was through Plymouth University, which was instituting and overseeing the PhD, and they wanted it to be discursive, mm. more or less, you know, is the way I felt about it. Um, so, okay, so what ultimately happened is, is like going through um, the, the people that reviewed me that I was very angry with uh, were pointing out different, like, places where I was skipping over huge gaps of things. And I was talking about the method, like, without qualifying, like, what does that mean? You know, what does the method mean here? Because it means something very different in Arizona than New York and very different than in London. You know what I mean? Like, sure. there's different lineages and we're in a very particular one. Yeah. Um, and so in, like, having to go back and do all that kind of research, like, in the academic sense, like, I, I, it really kind of, that's where I feel like something really shifted in my thinking and I realized, like, that it was very kind of, like, shoddy mm. and just not very, like, um, things connected in a very weird way and, like, the, it might make sense, but... I wasn't like willing to take responsibility for making the connections. You must find them yourself. Cause, uh, uh, but then finding out that the connection was not always there and it wasn't as clean as I thought it was. And so that I wasn't nearly as clever as I thought I was. Interesting. So that was really helpful, like really helpful information. Um, but then on the other hand, like the real experience of like the experience of ritual is so bodily, but it, it doesn't, it, the intellect is obviously like involved because you, it's, I guess there are moments when this stops talking, but they're very rare, and it's not for very long. <laughs> um, but that, that's a very different kind of knowledge and a different way of knowing. Like, um, uh, so on one hand, it's like the academic, like you're finding lineages and like finding like <clears throat> direct connections to things and then things that you can articulate. And a lot of times, like doing ritual, like, I don't know, like I'll be like tearing leaves or something like this or preparing herbs and like grinding them together with a bunch of other people in a room. And then all of a sudden, like, my hands are not my hands anymore. There's someone else's hands. And that the room, like, full of, like, seven people, all of a sudden there's, like, 30 people and, like, 40. And then there's, like, lots of ghosts and all of a sudden something else is happening. It's a very different kind of knowing. Um, but it also has to do with, like, roots and lineage, you know. And all of those people are present, too. So it's, um, I think both ultimately can take you to the same, same thing, but there are different ways of knowing. Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. <laughs> at what point do you feel like you were confident enough in, in your own understanding of things to start bringing in other people, like in a, in a theater group, theater company, that type of thing. Yeah. Oh, wait, what's that again? So, I mean, well, I guess, uh, as, you know, as uh, in your educational journey, I mean, at what point did you feel confident enough in your own knowledge that you wanted to just start creating on your own, I guess? I mean, and I guess, the, like, you know, uh, creating your own theater company, oh. curating, you know, writing your own work and actually producing it. Now, yeah. At what point do you feel like you were ready to do that? Well, flip the switch there. <laughs> oh wow. Well, it was probably like right out, right out of the shoot, really, because like um, I was uh, heading in to do an MFA, so I was like 22 or something. And um, but this is like lineage of lineage of Phoenix, 
There was a couple here at Pizzerino in Mali. They ran um, Planet Earth Theater that you, you may have heard of or may not. Like, they were like on the place that that, that house that I think that that house that um, a, like abandoned house that they're reconstructing on Roosevelt by Modified Arts. Um, and they did some of the most interesting, crazy stuff like back in the day, like in the eighties. Um, and really, like interesting, and a lot of it was like awful to sit through and like really, really bad performance art, like really bad. Um, but the only thing, only place that you could see anything like that, so it was amazing to go. Um, and I watched these people do all these really, really weird things, really badly, you know. Like, and then some, sometimes it got really, really good too. But it was sort of like they were trying to establish something that wasn't here, um, and, and very successful in doing that. I so. I, talking to him like I was like so you know I was kind of interested in like because I wanted to see my work done and I kind of had a feeling early on that it would be very difficult to get because I wasn't like writing like um, uh, um, what would be like an, an, I wasn't writing like uh, um, God Crimes of the Heart or things like yeah. this <laughs> yeah um, and so I asked Pete like Serena like how do you what do you do like how do you how do you do how do you start a theater company and he said he gave me the best advice I ever had I think he said start you just start it yeah and you just say like I'm starting a theater company right. and then it happened and then yeah. Here you are. yeah like oh okay so I kind of like kept that in mind and um yeah and so in Seattle I had the seeds for one and then really didn't start like it properly until Minneapolis with the help of Barb Barbie Marshall she did all the paperwork the first time through, so for that so, nonprofit stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. No, that's okay. so. Uh, <laughs> it was just a matter of uh, you. You had the impulse for quite some time, and it was just, uh, I guess, getting the reinforcement that you didn't really have to do anything special. You didn't have to pass some test, get certified in some way to do it. You just do it. I like yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, uh, how did you approach um, convincing other people to to pass on your vision? I mean, uh, obviously, you came into this. You you created this uh, these projects, you know, with with I mean, your own tastes and preferences and, and ideas in mind. How do you, I guess, bro- uh, broach like bringing in other people for that? Um, you know, as a, oh, yeah. from like both sides of it, from like your own side, like how do you pick the people that you trust to do this, and from the other side, how do you convince them to be a part of it in the first place? Oh, okay, yeah. Wow. Well. Um... Oh, this is interesting. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting older, so I see more themes. But I think, like, the lineage thing is a really big connecting point. So in this case, like, it it would be... um, By the time I... uh, So I lived in Phoenix, then moved to Seattle for four years, and then Minneapolis for four years, and then came back here. Um, And by then I was old enough and almost sober. Not quite sober. I got sober a couple years after that, but um, almost there. (laughs) Not really, um, but my first like couple of months here. Um, so I was married. The one I was married to was teaching at the university. My daughter was two. I'd been here before, and I wanted to see things happen again. But I wanted to build a better um, uh, base, whatever. Right. So uh, thinking about what Pete and Molly Serino had done, and they were no longer here. Um, that I started getting word of other people that were doing things. So I just started talking to people. Like, there was a guy that I knew from before named Arthur Sabatini that taught at ASU West, that Mike Van Havel, who taught experimental theater at ASU, introduced me to. Van Havel's now at um, Madison, Wisconsin. Like, I'm still in touch with all these people, too, so it's kind of... Uh, so I knew Arthur was a good place to start because he knew some weird stuff, and he, he showed us some really weird things that I'd never seen before that were really good. 
So was it? I, I'm sorry to catch up, but was it yeah. what you were looking for? Just a a comfort with going to those extremes, no matter what those extremes might be individually. Were you looking for other people who are just willing to take those kind of big steps into kind of a, a strange place, a strange position? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. Okay, that's another like that's a totally different vector. Like maybe it's a separate thing, but it, yeah, uh, this is how you how you describe that. That was interesting. Of just that, um, yeah, not necessarily talking about like you guys had the same ideas. You both wanted to do this. We you both like talking about this or like do these things. But just that you you presented it as he he just did some crazy weird stuff. And so I wonder is that is that kind of your 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 common thread with with people that you worked with is just maybe a willingness to go for it, whatever it might be. Oh yeah, well. <laughs> Sure. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And there's like a kind of fearlessness, a curiosity about the void, and a willing to jump into it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, but Arthur was like a scholar, so kind of and a practitioner too, but more of a scholar. And so he knew like, and he knew lots of people, and like had NYU and his background and stuff. Like, so he started introducing me. He's like, well, there's no one interesting in Phoenix right now. It's just you know, and, but but you should talk to these five people. Um, because they they know other interesting people, so I talked to those five people and found them fascinating. And everyone kept talking about a place called Mars Art Space, and that kept coming up. It was like a common thread, um, which was like this uh, Latino collective, like visual art, Latino, Latino, Latinx. Um, uh, and I'd never seen any any of the stuff, but I met a lot of the people. I'm like, so anyway, getting in touch with them, and like I just started meeting people for coffee, really. And saying like I'm interested in starting something, and then I call like the people who's you know who Arizona Commission like who should I talk to there, yeah. and became friends with Claire West. So I just like kind of like thinking about the lineage that was here before that was doing experimental stuff instead of like what I've done and what like lots of people I think what I've done previously and what lots of people I think do is like come in and say like there's nothing good happening here, no one's doing anything interesting, so I'm just going to be the, I'll be the one that does the thing, you know. Um, and there are, they're just asleep or underground or something like cactus or I don't know how they grow. You know what I mean? So, like, so do you feel like you'd be more or less inclined to have, have started it if uh, planet Earth were still kind of thriving and going strong? Oh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. There was something like kind of exciting about doing, but in, in, in both Seattle and Minneapolis, like the things that I was starting, like people would say like, would really say in the, the friendliest cities in the world like you know there's really no more room here for stuff that you're doing we really don't have the room for it um and so you know, when you like fuck you i'm gonna do it anyway right <laughs> you know <laughs> um there's like kind of a joy and like a, the, a solidarity because there were a lot of other people that were also starting things at the same time there and like that was that was cool but it, it is much easier here without another planet earth to be um like the voice of the resistance or whatever because you kind of like it's easy to be seen um, when no one else is kind of like doing that at the moment. Makes sense. Yeah, but uh, it's a lot more fun when there's more people doing it. Not to jump around in time too much. Hopefully, we're not cutting over anything that you um, really value. But I, I am curious just because uh, it's something that I saw personally that the whole idea of the new Phoenicians, how that started. Because yeah. um, just from like what, what I found in your background, a lot of the stuff you do is like, like you said, um, like multimedia stuff and um, the Monsters of the Sea stuff, which is all very like incredible and interesting, obviously. But uh, I mean, the, the what I saw that was pretty like straightforward, like sketch comedy fun show. Like, what what made you decide to just do something like that <laughs> out of the blue? Oh my God! Well, that was like it was kind of like uh, I don't know I guess there's other like uh, we wanted to do something and the things that we've been doing like I don't know like one of the 
one of the monsters of the sea things that and my favorite one was our Romeo and Juliet Void. This is number two. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Um, and that one was uh, I had uh, met this woman Heather Harper uh, and we fell deeply in love and my father was dying um, and then the play was like kind of at the same time so it was about both of those things at once and like so I started writing the script and like uh, less than halfway through he did he did die um, so it was about love and death and like the underworld uh, and so we we've been doing stuff like that and kind of like that level of like and going to really d dark places like with ritual like parameters and going like in very like with the intention of going to meet ghosts and talking to the dead um so it seemed like doing sketch comedy would be the least likely thing that we would do next and so we decided to do that but it sounded like that would be just kind of fun and like let's just do something was that a a different muscle to flex than for you um just trying to do something that was i guess more palatable <laughs> yeah it was really yeah it, yeah, it was just kind of like, it was it was light. It felt very light. I mean, it didn't feel like anything that I necessarily want to do again. Okay. Maybe from time to time. Maybe every like eight years or something, but not like, <laughs> as of like, a, those things you like, have, have between meals. To a cleanse palate cleanser type of thing, yeah. 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 Uh, was it less satisfying to do? I mean, just, did you feel like you were just less invested in it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't want to walk back you into a corner, I guess. But. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, it wasn't like, um, th there wasn't very much, in, but it was just the idea that, like, uh, we wanted to kind of take it easy on ourselves for a while and, like, give people something to kind of laugh at and not necessarily have to think about too hard. Like, so, yeah, it was just kind of that. Like, yeah. I, I, I ask that because um, something that, again, I, especially when I talk to artists who do a bunch of different media and stuff, I, I always kind of like to ask, like, what comes first for them, the... the um, the structure or the theme um, when they're when they're approaching something new do they decide like oh I really want to paint a watercolor next and they decide what they want to do or does it come from a place of like I need to make some kind of piece about love and death what's the best way to execute that and yeah. so it seemed like a, with a lot of the stuff you've done before the themes came first like the ideas of like I really want to write about this I have these urges I want to kind of create this type of thing um, and then oh, with uh, with yeah. this it came it seemed like it was the opposite we're like oh I want to do a sketch comedy show and then you kind of had to fill in the meaning and so I wonder if there was uh, yeah. anything to that, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, so... Usually, like, when I start writing something, like, the yeah. way that... Or the, the, when I start thinking about something, like, the way it will kind of emerge is, like, um, I'll just get, like, a flash of, like, a scene here and there or something. Something will happen, like, an image, like, will pop into my head, like... Yeah. And maybe I can't even remember what the image was, but I know that something just happened and I need to, like, find that. And then, like... Um, it, it happens long enough. Oh, there's a hummingbird. <laughs> and then it happens long enough that, or repeats enough that I know I've got to sit down and start, like, working on this thing. Um, and it's just kind of chasing an image, and then the theme or whatever it starts to emerge from there. Interesting. Yeah. Is that always, like, a literal image you're trying to recreate, or is it kind of more of an abstract thing? Well, an image or, like, sometimes it's a feeling. Like, a, I would even say, like, a spirit, like, some kind of, like, weird like manic laughter kind of thing or like some 
a melancholy voice from beyond or whatever. Just kind of like a feeling something needs to be addressed here. The muse, in a way, I guess. Yeah, being oh, yeah. stricken by the muse. <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in a yeah. classical sense. Uh, well, let's, yeah. let's, again, let's uh, jump all over the place. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Dog's Ear, too. So, oh, sure, um, yeah. let's uh, tell, me, tell me about this journey. What made you decide to do uh, a, a collection like this, you know, something all print? And, and uh, what's that been like, just going through this process? Yeah, oh, it was really fun. It was really, really fun to put together. Um, there are all these, like, disparate, um, disparate kinds of writing that I've been, and, like, a lot of it, like, I don't know, like, on Facebook, I've, that actually started with MySpace, where a friend of mine, Natalia Jager, she's in London. Um, I'll be seeing her soon because I'm moving over there, not to London, but the UK. <laughs> uh, but we had, we both were kind of doing MySpace at the same time. She was a student, and I was teaching for ASU West, and like um, the idea of like making like a MySpace, like whatever, like that pro that um, blurb, whatever. Uh, people would say like everything's cool or whatever, and um, she would write things like decay is reality or something like that, like just to kind of like what the hell and so like with Facebook I started like wanting to write like unusual status updates to kind of um, just to show that there's more pot and more that's possible like in like that kind of forum or whatever and to kind of see to test the limits of it and also gave me like a chance to like um, write a little bit every day even if it's only like 100 words or something or 20 words you know um, so I started doing lots of things and like writing kind of short flash fiction kinds of things um, and they all like added up to a kind of a world, but uh, and I tried like different during different um, like in poetry readings and things like I try to uh, bring different things together and see what kind of emerges from that. Um, so then when they um, originally Warren Chambers approached me like with the idea of the book, um, I started kind of pulling things and like looking for common themes and like so, like the, the dog kept recurring. Um, and so that was like, the, and it was kind of a ghost because there was a dog I had named Sonny who got hit by a car like right before my dad died too. Um, so sort of like chasing after that like thing. And so this dog is like a metaphor, like a Bork has sort of like otherworldly like crossing paths between like the living and the dead and like, um, uh, and just dogs are funny. Yeah. And you know, dressing up like a dog is always like a fun thing to do. So like, it could have lots of different kinds of meanings and be a placeholder for all different kinds of things. So playing on kind of like that theme and seeing um, to bring all the disparate pieces together and see what what happens out of that. Interesting. And yeah. I mean, how was that like curation process for you? Like, was it? Uh, was it kind of snapping into place fairly easily? Did you have pieces in your head that you were digging for, or is it a lot of uh, flipping through your your whole body of work and and kind of pulling stuff out? And <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. It was more like yeah. um, archive, like yeah. yeah, like having a whole archive of things and like doing ser- searches for like things, words like dog or moon or whatever. And like, and just, yeah, you do have a lot of like lunar imagery and stuff in, in a lot of what you do. I mean, where, yeah. is that something that you? you've explored a lot in yourself in the past too or? yeah sure yeah and I just I don't know I just always loved the moon and I heard something like Bo- I think it was Borges again like said something like there's only like um, there's only one poem and it's always about the moon something <laughs> yeah, like that yeah interesting. Uh, okay so yeah uh, w- I know that you didn't stay with the same publisher the whole time. So, from like a, a practical sense, I guess. I mean, what was the publishing process like for you? Uh, like, as uh, an artist coming to them with with work, you know, and just waiting for it to become a, a physical form. Like, what what did that look oh. like on your side? Yeah, God, it was really it was such a real pleasure. Like, it was so yeah. easy because, um, well, uh, um, 
Jake and Kelsey approached me with the idea of like putting a book together uh, and so I started collecting things and we had like a pretty good and then Jared stepped in and started helping with the editing process and stuff and um, so then like when they decided to shut things down and Jared was opening up it was just kind of like naturally there and Jared said do you, what do you think do you think we could like hand it off and continue with Hoot and Waddle you know yeah it was really and I really like I really I really uh, I, I love Jared like I'm, I was re I'm really good friends with his uncle and stuff and like um and so meeting like with Jared and Janelle it was really it was really easy it was always just really fun to hang out with them um they they couldn't have made it easier I don't think we fought about anything like once there was like nothing it was kind of like we were always on the same page like I had different fonts and like um they didn't have the same fonts because they were kind of like unusual and so Janelle found these like ones that um that she felt worked and did the work that I thought and it was like absolutely right you know well, yeah. I, I uh, was talking to um, Aaron Johnson from uh, Lawn Gnome Publishing last week. Uh, he was the person I actually had on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, he was just talking a little bit about how, as a, as a publisher, like what, what he looks for in an artist, what he looks for in a writer, and yeah. kind of the parameters that he sets for that. So I'm, did you ever feel like you were up against any kind of certain walls or certain parameters that you were trying to fit into, like with, with trying to make sure that your work got made at the end of the day? Oh... Not really, no, mm -hmm. no, but I mean, I don't know, like, um, I feel like I'm kind of old now, <laughs> so there's a lot of, like, inner um, editing going on, and so, like, like maybe um, if I was younger, I would have left things much more, like, even though it, to say that the pieces are connected would be kind of like a long shot by most people's standards, but, like, um, it's become much more important to me the longer I've been here to make connected threads that people can follow, um, so those are in there. They're they're hard to find, and you have to be paying attention. And you could just kind of open up to any page, and then like, um, you know. Uh, but there are like, and sort of put those in there for, um, so the editor doesn't have to do all that kind of work to find those things for you. And so make it sense. do you feel like age has just kind of made you more amenable to editing, and amenable to like other people coming in and, and leaving their their thumbprint on on what you're doing? Or? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I kind of like it when people put their thumbprint. I mean, even with my plays, I've always liked it when people like step on it and do something weird with it. Like, I prefer that to like try to honor the vision or whatever, because it's sort of like you can't, you know, it's in here and it's never going to be there. Well, that's. I mean, you people say that, but then there is still this whole kind of like auteur uh, philosophy that that still kind of runs rampant through like a lot of performance and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. I I do kind of wonder where that comes from. And I guess I, how do you how do you deal with with somebody who is coming in with a, a defined vision, like as as an actor in the past and stuff? How do you deal with auteurs? I guess. Oh <laughs> shit. Okay, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've been pretty fortunate that I don't have to like I don't have to deal with it most. And a lot of times I'll direct things myself, which sort of like. That makes me an auteur, like, kind of, but it, it puts the, um, I don't have to contend with the same things. Sure. Uh, but I know, like, in the past, like, I guess this is, like, just college acting experience where working with people that were extremely difficult, the advice that was always giving to me is um, do exactly what they say. And if you do that, um, everybody's going to see how bad it is, and it's going to be obviously not your fault. Yeah. And that actually, like, worked really well. Yeah, that's, a, that's yeah. the approach I tend to take as well. That's 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 funny. Yeah. Um, okay. And so, uh, with with kind of the the book uh, release date on the horizon, I mean, what what do you feel like is kind of next for you? I guess. 
Oh, well, really, there's a big move coming up. I'm going to Portsmouth, the University of Portsmouth, to be a lecturer in performance there. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave the country. And I've been looking forward to doing that for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Were you actively seeking out um, kind of any opportunity for that? Or was this something that you specifically were trying to get? Yeah, well, no, I was looking for anything like kind of overseas. Um, and I was also, also looking for things here that looked interesting in the U.S. But... Um, yeah, it's very difficult, like, right now for, uh, and because I just finished a doctorate, so I'm, like, just beginning, like, that career or whatever, and it's really not a good time for um, anyone to begin any kind of academic career, like, because there's a lot of people with a lot of doctorates, yeah. and here it seems in the, the U.S., like, they're looking for a lot of people that, like, theater generalists, mm. you know, and the more specialized you get, the, um, anyway, it's still very different sure. in the U.K., like, they're much, um, uh, uh, they seem so far to be much more interested in your research okay. and what you might be able to contribute um, outside of just the theater general like things kinds of so uh, it seems much more supportive and I've, um, every time that I've been like either like not so much in the UK but more like in Berlin and these kinds of places like I've found like a much more um, interested reception to my work and they they're more willing to go the extra whatever mile and like the extra kilometer uh, uh, to uh, get the, the to find the context for it and the, yeah, you know and here people don't have the patience for that it seems like um, so the work has always been much more well received over there so I've always been looking to work there but this past year especially like I applied to like 20 or 30 things and kind of gave up but then this other this thing came up and it looked like oh it just sounds perfect I've got to apply and like two weeks later I was hired wow, just like that that's fantastic yeah um, so are you are you Planning on um, having any other kind of like final act, final uh, <laughs> um, mark that you're trying to leave here beyond the book before you leave? Or? <laughs> oh wow, um, wow! That's I don't know. I just this is all recent, so I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, I just want to have a couple of good parties and hang out with some people that I haven't seen for a while. But uh, I know there's a company um, B3. I should know this. B3. Yeah. yeah. Like Alana. Alana Lydia. Yeah. B3, of course, yes. I just saw, I just ran into her today. Uh, they're doing Frogwoman, my play in the fall. Um, so that'll be cool. Like, But if I could do like one last like thing with Howl Theater Project, the theater base, my basement, I probably would because I feel like there's something unfinished there. Um, I don't know what that would be though. Maybe some kind of collaboration overseas or something because a lot of the people are still, you know, here um, or you, will be. You feel like they could kind of keep the machine running without you, like... Right there, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, w I would certainly hope so, yeah. Or that they would be moving over there, it would be okay too. Either way, yeah. yeah. That'd be amazing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's the last uh, couple questions that I, I like to ask. Uh, first off, anybody in town, any artist of any discipline you feel like you want to give a shout out to, some recognition? Oh man, okay, wait. No, I. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say. Michelle Ceballos in Open Dance, sure. Ralph Cordova. Um, I love Orange Theater, mm. Matt and Katrina and uh, Steve and all those. I love what they do. Um, Heather Harper should do everything. Uh, let me see. I'm sure there's a lot of people I'm forgetting, though. But those are the ones that first come to mind, yeah. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and we've already kind of brushed on it, but um, any anything personally you want to promote, plug throughout there? Oh, no, no, I feel like, no, that dog's ear is, like, plenty, and, like, yeah. What, do you know the release date for that? Do you know when that's expected to kind of hit the, the shelves there? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, dog's ear is coming out uh, from Hoot and Waddle Press. Um, the release date is September 
15th, a Saturday. Oh. Is that the Hive? That's okay. at 2222 North 16th Street. Oh, that's been fun. Um, yeah, it should be. And it'll be from 5 to 7. There's going to be live music and refreshments. And I'll do a reading of it. Um, and there's also a link on Hoot and Waddle. Uh, that's Hoot N, just the N, Waddle.com. On their, on their site, there's a site where you can, uh, there's a, a, a link where you can buy the book too. And t shirt and poster and all those things. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, cool. great okay. merch. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. All right. Uh, last thing I'd like to ask if, to, if you were to just leave one piece of advice for someone who is trying to take a, a similar path that you took, what would you want them to know? Okay. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, despite what you may think or what you've been told or what you've been led to believe, it really is a love story. You're in a love story. This is a love story. This is a love story. Fantastic. Yeah. That's a mantra you can go home with. All right. Chris, yeah. thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.